I am Tom Holland, and this is Fitness Disrupted 2.0. This is one of those shows where I, I think I want to do video, but then my studio is just covered in notes and books, and my computer's got my notes, and I, I just I want to focus on the interview. And this one, buckle up, people. Buckle up. Only the best of the best. Julius Thomas. Julius Thomas played seven years in the NFL with the Denver Broncos, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Miami Dolphins as a tight end. He was a two-time Pro Bowler and ranked in the NFL Top 100 in 2014. He had 226 catches for 2,406 yards and scored 36 touchdowns. Here's what's incredible. Thomas is now a current doctoral student who is pursuing a Psych D in clinical psychology at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. His research interests are in positive psychology and clinical neuroscience. As I say always, I could not be more excited to bring you the best guests, only the best guests here because I don't want to waste your time and could not be more excited to speak with Julius Thomas. Julius, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you all about psychology. Oh, well, uh, psychology happens to be what I've been spending the last uh, half decade doing. So um, number one, thank you for having me. I'm always excited to get an opportunity to have conversations that hopefully have a positive impact on people. Uh, that's my purpose in life is to help people be at their best personally and professionally. And, um, you know, the discipline of psychology plays such a, a large role in educating people about what that looks like. So very, very excited to be able to talk about uh, what we're going to go over today. And I'm jealous of so many things in your life. I have a master's in uh, sports psychology. I would love to do the PhD if I could find some time. It, it, I just have to make the time. But so I'm very jealous, <laughs> very jealous of, yeah. of, you know, and I watched so many interviews, Julius. And uh, again, we're so aligned. I just want to back up the one thing that that just like stood out to me in your background was the fact that you didn't start playing football at two years old. Like you didn't, you weren't that specialty kid, right? That everyone is today. So, so talk about that. Like, what did you have one year of, of high school and one year of college as far as football? Yeah, goes? You know, I, I was a, uh, my story is so much different than a lot of elite athletes because mine is the true underdog story. Every sport that I started, I started from the absolute bottom um, I remember being a freshman basketball player on the freshman team at the end of the freshman bench and having to work my way up that bench um, to only being the sixth man on the freshman team at the end of freshman year and then getting to go to college uh, to have a Division One basketball scholarship at Portland State. But similar process again, you know, when I decided that um, we're actually with my football my basketball career came to an end at Portland State, and I decided that I was going to give football a shot. Uh, you know, I didn't do, know anything about football. Um, <laughs> I had played when I was in eighth grade, but, you know, you step into a college um, facility and step into a college meeting room, and you learn very fast that um, there's a lot of nuance and intricacies to the game that you have to learn. So my learning curve was so steep. And it was a challenge, you know, I would say probably up until my first 
three years into the NFL. I got two boys. Uh, they play hockey. They play a bunch of sports. But it's all about specialization, right? So people would say, there's no way you can go to the NFL if you start playing uh, as late as you did. But it's all about being a great athlete, right? And and learning and, and hopefully playing as many sports as possible. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm really torn on the specialization debate. I think that um, I have examples, right? They can show you it can go either way. I think there are some intrinsic athletic movements or skills that really help to learn at a young age. Like, I don't know if I could have switched to soccer at 21, right? Just the development and the, the motor coordination, probably to some degree in the cortex. Um, but those movement um, execution of those movement sequences uh, might need to happen a little earlier. Um, shooting a basketball, um, hitting a pitch, right? So there's some of those aspects that I think maybe you do need to start focusing on at an early age, but um, when it comes down to anything in life, there's a process to mastering a discipline. And if you're going to commit to that process and you're going to give it your all and you're not going to quit until you get it, I don't think that there's many things people can't master, but it does become so much heavier of a lift if you wanted to do something like I did and, you know, try to become an NFL football player at age 21 <laughs> with uh, six months of a college football season to do it in. So you don't recommend that that route? It's it's hard. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely not the uh, um, the systematic way to approach it. Um, but it can be done. You know, if anybody is, is sitting around thinking about taking up a new hobby. Yeah, I got the kids. They're actually hockey players. So to your point, right? You you got to be on skates at a young age. That's going to be tough to pick up at at twenty one. Uh, so uh, you know exactly. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. That that shift was crazy. But and and I just want to jump right into it. You know, you had this incredible career in NFL and, you know, you made a lot of money and then you said, hey, I'm going to go get my PhD. Who does that? Right. And so where did that come from? Where where was that desire? Yeah, you know, actually, it came from suffering. Um, number one, and I think first and foremost, I've always been a person of faith and I've always let, you know, kind of that faith guide me and, in, in, you know, having that faith to step and in, step into football and to be successful there. But then just, um, I started becoming aware, man, around maybe 26, 27. I think I actually became aware when, as you mentioned, um, I achieved the financial goals that I had. Your whole life, we don't really recognize that we're working, we're busting our ass, we're putting more time in because we have this, this place of security that we wanna to get to. But then if we get it, then what? Most people never have to think about that. But that's an existential reality for lottery winners, people that build and sell companies, and for athletes that um, make life-changing money. And once I didn't have that goal to be chasing after anymore, I had all this time to reflect and think. And I started also realizing that, you know what, this isn't the happiest time of my life. Like, I've, I've got the million-dollar house, I've got the $100,000 car, but there's something missing on the inside. And so I had to figure out what that was. I'm naturally inquisitive and a learner. And so I just started studying as much as I could get my hands on Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy, um, psychology, stuff like that. And then I started to become very clear that there's other people in the world suffering. And it, it really started to affect me in a way. And I thought, man, I, I really want to do something. I really want to help people. And slowly but surely, my passion for putting more awards on my wall and getting more rewards in my own life started to diminish. And what increased was my passion to help others. And once I knew that this feeling was so strong, I had to follow it. 
I knew that I had to step away from the game and I chose psychology because I wanted to get trained in the discipline that really serves people mentally. Um, but then, you know, getting into it, I learned that, you know, there's so much more and getting this background really in how the mind and body work, how they work in unison and what we can do to help people. Um, it, it's just something I love doing. I wake up every day. I'm passionate about it because I think I'm truly finally at 30, almost 35, finding my purpose. <laughs> 35. <laughs> I mean, that's so incredible, Julius. And uh, similar story in that I would say in this podcast, like I always, uh, yeah, I have the greatest job in the world, helping people, as you said, uh, live better lives. I mean, what what are what are we selling, right? That is better than that, and that's why I take it so seriously. And like you, when I decided to make this, you know, my vocation, my passion, my vocation, I said it's the psychology, right? Um, we both know that, you know, we know we need to eat better, we know we need to uh, move more, and things like that. But how do we get people to do that, right? So the psychology is so important, and I would argue I've worked for a lot of fitness companies, Julius. It's so missing right? That, that behavioral aspect that you're talking about. Well, 100%. And, um, you know, just to, just to clarify again, you know, psychology is really the study of the mind and behavior, right? right? Like not just what's happening between people's ears, you know, the symptoms of, you know, anxiety, depression, um, excuse me, those aren't symptoms. Those are conditions, but some of the symptoms associated with that, right? Mood, um, fear, being able to concentrate, you know, feeling sweaty, that kind of stuff. Right. But another big branch of psychology is behaviors and in helping people behave in a way that's aligned with what's best for them is one of the greatest challenges on earth. It is why some of the greatest foundational uh, men and women in psychology spent their life trying to create theories and approaches to be able to help a person actually act on the things that they know is best for them or the things that they know that they would like to do is much more difficult of a process than it sounds. And you know, you spend a couple thousand hours doing therapy with people and you realize that um, what a person even knows they need to do and what they're doing may not be aligned and to help them uh, overcome the obstacles that's between those two goals. Uh, that's a challenge. It's brutal. <laughs> you know, as a former personal trainer who slaved away and and I trained many celebrities and CEOs and and you're different, Julius. You know, you could just sit on the beach and, and, and enjoy, you know, all your hard work. So I'd yeah. still argue to to go and, and pursue a PhD. Like that's incredible. And that that's just not normal in, in the normal way of doing things. And to your point though, like that was the hardest part with clients. I always say that the answers to life are on Instagram. It's the application, right? So all those simple yeah. sayings, right? They're there. It's the application that's difficult, right? And and the cognitive dissonance that you're talking about. People know what to do, but how do they do that? And people are all different. And you got to figure that out, right? What motivates people? Well, 100%. And, and, you know, when I think about motivation, you know, motivation is so much about costs and rewards, right? Like every, every organism on this planet, you know, has something that they need to attain to be able to continue survival, life, enjoyment, you name it. And I think for people, it's so hard for them to really understand that, hey, even if this is something I want to do, or even if this, this is something I know that I'm good at doing, they're not sure how to overcome the obstacle or what that cost may be, right? So like a person may say, hey, you know, um, it's really important for me to develop as a writer. But then they sit down to write and they're like, ah, writer's block showed up. Uh, you know, I, I really want to get better as a writer, but now I'm sitting in front of this computer. I'm looking at these keys and I can't start. 
And so being able to help a person start to explore and identify why are the reasons why you can't start? Or if a person say they they want to lose weight and okay, well, I know I need to lose weight. I know it's going to be good for me, but why aren't they able to wake up every day and do the 45 to 60 minutes of physical activity or how challenging and how hard is it to stop eating certain foods, right? And to start really understanding that the, the challenge in behavioral training or behavioral change, it's not really so much like you said of knowing what to do. It's how do you overcome the obstacles that are in the way of where you are now and where you want to get to. And I know that you talk frequently about appraisals in relationship to this in the brain and you use as a, you know, a analogy, cleaning your house. And I love this because I talk about the term I use, Julius, is excessive moderation, right? Extremes are easy, right? Cutting out yeah. food, uh, doing too much exercise. It's moderation done consistently that's really challenging, right? But your your approach is, as mine is, is to break it down. And, and small chunks, right? Don't look at that huge picture. Small steps get you there. Well, 100%. And that goes back to this whole motivation, um, cost first rewards, right? Because... If, if I see my reward is when I get to my ideal body fat percentage, that may be months, a years away from where I am now. So then the reward is so far out there that your brain motivation circuits aren't giving you enough juice to do the daily behaviors. So when you make the rewards closer to where a person is, it gives them that extra energy, that extra motivation to go towards it. Or if you find out what their costs are and you decrease the cost, that increase the motivation. And this is what I teach my students all the time. If you want to go get something or you, you think that there's something that's important, think about it as often as you can. Think about it when you wake up in the middle of the night. Think about it when you're driving. Think about it when you're friends, because now you're training your brain to understand it. This is not just something we want. This is something we really, really want. And then your brain is going to give you additional molecules and neurotransmitters that are going to have that behavioral effect that helps you go after that. Yeah, and 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 it's pacing, right? As you talk about too, it's 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 a journey, right? And one of my favorite uh, was Bandura back when I was studying, and just self-efficacy those the, those small victories that aren't small that build your situational confidence, right? And I think that's what you're talking about here. It's it's the small steps that build the confidence that keep you motivated to keep you moving forward. Yeah, because you need you need successes, right? The brain was not designed to persist in the face of unsuccessful attempts, right? Like if you do something and you fail at it, right, you get some type of decrease in mood, probably get some type of low brain inflammation, right? Because your brain needs to know that that didn't work. Um, the problem is the things that we have in life now and the way we live in the modern world, sometimes our immediate results are so far away from today. Take graduate school, for example, right? The human being was not designed for graduate school. The human <laughs> being was designed to search within, you know, five or six miles from where their home was to find different resources they need for themselves and their family to be safe and have food and fluids to drink. But when you look at graduate school, you're talking about five or six or seven years. Your goal is away from when you start and not only does, is the goal very far away, the cost or the effort required to get to that goal is tremendous. And this is why graduate school is a grind. It's like, wait, why more and more people are saying, man, you know, is this really for me? Because you have to take on so much work. You have to start chasing towards this goal. 
that you can't even see the finish line. And those are the things that are hardest to attain. Yeah, I'm an endurance guy, the Ironmans, ultramarathons, things like that. And I've interviewed a bunch of people like Dean Karnazes, you know, he's much better than I and has run much farther. And, you know, asking the obvious question, like, you know, when you're in a hundred mile race and you're at mile 90 and you're breaking down mentally and physically, you know, what do you do? And it, again, it's, it's simple explanation, but the application I would argue is hard as I think you will. It's, it's like he said, just get to the next tree, just get to the next rock, right? So we have to break it down into small steps and, and again, get confidence in just getting to that tree, to that rock and, you know, the, the day to day with graduate school and anything else. Well, they're exactly right. Cause think about what he's doing, right. Instead of saying, I got to get to the finish line, which is really far away and can be demotivating when you think about it, cause you have to endure all this pain in route to that place. If you tell yourself, just get to that next rock that you can see, just get to that next tree that you can see, this makes that reward immediate. And we know that human beings love nothing more than immediate rewards. <laughs> like if there's one thing we know humans yeah. like, and it's highly effective, it's immediate rewards. So, so that's his cognitive trick. When he's experiencing tremendous pain, when he's on a tremendous journey towards this task, this goal, he makes those rewards more immediate. And I think we all need to be doing that in our life. We all need to find ways to make the rewards more immediate and find ways to decrease what our brain is perceiving as costs or challenge. And that's really going to help us hack our own motivation. You know, what I learned, Julius, from doing the races myself, and I just, uh, during COVID, ran across the Grand Canyon and back, which nearly killed me. Um, but it just teaches you, as you said, to just be in the moment, right? You don't look ahead. You don't look behind. You just go, how do I feel right now, <laughs> right? What do I need to do? Right now, and it sounds easy, right? I would argue, and I think you will too, it takes practice. But when you get there and you go, you know, stress is a choice, right? And so what can I do right now and, and just leave it at that? Yeah, you know, I, I think we're, we, what we're talking about is these basic constructs, right? Motivation, behavior, but attention. Now, attention is its own skill set. Attention is one of the most underappreciated uh, cognitive abilities we have. Like someone's ability to sustain attention could be vastly different than someone else's. And I encourage everyone find practices and things you can do to really develop um, your sustained attention. The longer you're able to stay in this moment because you chose to put your focus on it, the more effective you're going to be. It doesn't matter if you're writing a paper, if you're running across the Grand Canyon, or if you're spending in the backyard uh, time with your family, right? Like, we are losing our ability to be able to lock our attention into one place at one time, right? We're scattered. We want to check the next tab. We want to open the next app, like constantly needing this, this novelty, constantly needing to switch to something new. And the result of that is we all suffer from being able to sustain our attention on one thing. And that's something we have to, to build. That's a practice that we all have to try and develop in our own lives so we can be as effective as our potential would allow us to be. Yeah, multitasking is overrated, right? And I say to my kids all the time, two boys, I'm like, listen, when you're playing video games, just play video games. And when you're doing your homework, do your homework, but focus on one thing, right? And I think what you're saying, and I totally agree, and I don't know how we turn it around, though, Julius, like with technology, I just did a podcast on fit tech and, you know, do we measure things because they're important? Or are they important because we measure them? But I think the most basic uh, practice is exactly what you just said. It's like learning to just focus on one thing and, and again, to be in the moment. And that's not easy. 
No, it's, it's extremely challenging because it takes effort, right? Like cognitive control is, is effortful. That's why our, our brain is using up so much glucose on a day-to-day basis because that, that organ is like a master, a master consumer of energy, right? And, and that energy from glucose that our brains need to, fun- to function at a high level. So when we think about attention, we got to think about it as like, man, this is going to feel like lifting. It's going to feel like lifting weights. Like, I mean, I've spent my whole life lifting weights. I don't love <laughs> lifting weights, but I do it. But eventually you lift, you train so that you can lift more and train longer. Well, it's the same thing with anything that's effortful and the same thing for our brain. If we want to have attention and we want to be able to have it longer, we got to push ourselves. And like you said, like the modern world is, is, putting into practices and putting in like ways of being that are not forcing us to focus and strengthen that attention. And because of that, it makes it more of a challenge, but I think what will help and will help more people start to develop that skill is when they learn that the most effective people are the ones that have strong attentional abilities and they're able to dial in and lock in in that moment. And that's why you see their performance go up. This happens in sports, right? You go, man, like, why do some teams, their performance oscillates within games, within weeks, across seasons? And it almost looks like they're just not there. They're not locked in. But it's the people that can consistently show up every day, be locked in, dial their attention into what it's supposed to be on. Those become the most effective in the sport, on the team, or in the room. And I know you talk frequently about just the power again of the mind and, and, you know, I'm such a huge um, fan of, of talking about self-talk, right. And, and those internal monologues and just the power of the mind. Again, it sounds so simplistic, Julius, but I, I know that people don't realize the power and control they have over what you're saying, like the ability to do these things and, and to practice them uh, and, and to literally change the way you feel physiologically by the psychological uh, constructs you have in your, in your mind. One hundred percent. You you couldn't have said it better. It's um, you, you think about these concepts of mind body relationships, right? Like, how does the mind affect the body? Well, the mind affects the body because it appraises the situation, right? And you talk about self talk. I'm I'm huge on self talk too because uh, I don't allow my mind to have negative self talk. Now I can't control my mind from having the initial negative self talk thought, but I will not allow it to stay there. I will not allow that to become the narrative that I follow. Because when the negative self-talk increases, the negative emotion increases. And when the negative emotion increases, you are for sure going to have more challenges to be able to perform or to be able to keep your mood up or to be able to engage and enjoy what you're doing on your day-to-day, right? So when you allow negative self-talk to be something that's habitual or something that stays in your mind when you're doing something or throughout the day, now you've also got negative emotions to deal with. And those negative emotions become an additional lift on top of whatever you were doing in your life. Yeah. And, and something as simple as a smile, right? I, I talk about, you know, when I do my races, especially back when I was going faster and younger, uh, the worse I felt in a race, the bigger the smile would be on my face, right? Along with the self-talk. And I love the mantras. I, I talk about like, you know, I used to use the Beastie Boys lyrics, like as the race gets longer, I get stronger and, uh, you know, flow and, and different things like that. But you know, a, a simple smile on your face, studies are there, right? Physiologically changes how we feel. And and something as subtle as that can be ridiculously powerful. No, I mean, we, we always got to find little ways. Um, I've been using this analogy, and you can tell me what you think about it. 
um, we got to think about our mood like bath water. Like, right, like no one wants to be in that cold bath water. We all want that warm bath water. But what happens is over time, the bath water just cools down. And so you've got those two little knobs on the side of the tub, right? Like the old school tubs, um, like we had at grandma's house, right? You can add more <laughs> cold water to that, or you can add more hot water. But you have to manage the temperature of your life's bath water. So if you've got a lot of negative emotions, sadness, anger, fear, pain, like right, this stuff that comes, then you have to find ways to introduce warmer water or positive thoughts, experiences to your to your life, right? Because this is going to raise the overall temperature of that bath water. So if we're intentional about it and we've been educated and we understand how to do that, like you, uh, I'll put a smile on my face or I'll listen to a song I like, what I, like I'll tell patients or, you know, I'll go hang out with people that bring me joy. That is how you start to really take personal responsibility for managing your emotional balance, right? Your mood is within your control. So many people feel like they are the, they are the recipient of negative moods. Moods are happening to them but you can happen to your mood just as well. And showing people how to do that and the possibility of that really can be empowering. I love the analogy. <laughs> the bath water. I think that's perfect, right? And, and again, it's control, right? I talk about that. I, I end every podcast release by saying there's three things we all control. How much we move, what we put into our mouths and our state of mind. And the state of mind, I think you and I would agree is, is one of the most powerful and it leads to the other two uh, as well. And, and stress is a choice, as you just said. It's a process, right? Have I experienced this before? Do I have the coping mechanisms re uh, available to deal with it? Um, and that's why I, I just love the challenges that you talk about too, uh, taking on the PhD and, and all things like that. That's where we get stronger, getting outside our comfort zone. But I think, Julius, what people um, don't realize is you don't have to go really far outside, just, just outside, right? And that's where change happens. You don't have to push yourself ridiculously hard. The extremes we talked about, it's go outside and, and get some self-efficacy. You know, um, one of the biggest misconceptions I see, and it's probably in part due to social media and a lot of the influencers we see, is people think that in order to be well or to have well-being, they need to be doing something extreme. And really, the science doesn't support that at all. When you start to really dig into the literature of health and well-being, you know that the body and the mind only need moderate challenge, moderate difficulty, moderate healthy eating, moderate exercise, like you name it. Just moderation is so important for the mind and body. So I tell people all the time, like, you don't have to have 5% body fat and six pack abs to be healthy, but you do need to get up and move 30 to 60 minutes, five to six days a week. Now, I'm not saying you have to be bodybuilder clean eating to be healthy, but you do need to make sure you get some fruits and vegetables into your diet. Right. You cut back on eating some of those packaged foods and make sure you drink a good amount of water. But we, we've, we've kind of popularized and we've marketed this hyper wellness and hyper well-being. And I tell people, you know, athletes are not the pinnacle of health and wellness. When you are in a high performance state, it's like taking your car and like smashing the gas pedal down all the time. And you look at that, um, you look at it and you're like, wow, you're really redlining this engine. This engine is going to blow eventually. Right. And so that's why you see athletes have a lot of injuries because they're redlining their, their vehicle all the time. But if you just want to be healthy, just go get moderation. I've had to change the way I lifted weights. 
I used to lift weights. How, how much weight can I put on the bar? How fast can I move the bar? Now I'm like, okay, how well can I control this, this motion? Um, am I going through the full range? Am I balanced on both sides of my body? Do I need to put 315 pounds on a bench press? Or is it better for my shoulders, pecs, triceps to do single hand um, dumbbell bench, right? Like those little things uh, make big changes over a long time. I, I am so happy <laughs> that I've had you on to say this because I, I actually pitched a book, uh, written a couple books and pitched a book. And uh, my last book is called The Micro Workup Plan. The original title was Excessive Moderation. And when I had the call with a publisher, 20 somethings on the call as well, Julius, and I, they're like, what titles do you have? And I said, Excessive Moderation. And there's a pause. And a young woman says, that's the worst title I've ever heard. <laughs> so selling moderation is really hard, but it's, it's not the secret. I hate terms like that, hacks and secrets. No, it, but it is the way, right? And you're talking about blue zones. You, you don't get healthy by going to the gym for an hour a day and doing nothing, you know, sitting. Um, and I love actually, Julius, I had an opportunity to shoot a commercial in the Jets um, uh, weight room a couple of years ago. 200 yep. pound dumbbells. Did you ever pick up or have that? 200 pound dumbbells. I've never seen them before since. That's insane. I mean, yeah. So. It is. It is. Like, <laughs> lifting weights in an, in an NFL locker room is kind of like being um, alive in, in a cartoon. <laughs> like when you start to really see the strength that um, that the guys that play in the league have, the speed they have, right? It's it's silly. Um, it's something that, you know, you, you see it and, and it blows your mind every time. But I, I think that, you know, to go back to what you were saying about moderation, because I think it's important and I, and I want to – um, you know, take that a step further. It's so important for us to get the message out that health and wellness is about moderation because that actually makes it more attainable. When you look at a picture of JLo on Instagram, right? And a, a woman may say, well, how the hell am I supposed to look like that in my fifties? I might not even start. Right. And so sometimes it can be demotivating when you have this um, full out or I need to be the leanest possible as the standard or as the goal. And what I would really love to see is what would happen and how many more people would we get to be able to start doing, you know, the recommended health behaviors if we told them, hey, you just got to get to moderation. Moderation is going to help you have good metabolic health. It's going to help you have good mobility and flexibility. It's going to help you live longer. And you're going to have such a good chance of preventing or managing chronic illness and disease if you go for moderation. Can we get the the middle of, of the population to start working out if they don't think they have to wake up and look like, you know, Usain Bolt and run 100 yard sprints all day to be in shape? Absolutely. Absolutely. Could not agree more. And again, so happy that someone like you, by the way, six, five, two, what 40 something when you, and you ran a four, six, that's ridiculous. Like I play yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I've, I've been on both sides. Right. And I see it. Yeah. I had a, um, I had an unhealthy idea of what health was and it wasn't until I went to graduate school and I started studying literature and the research. And I was like, wait, Oh, I don't have to do two, three hour workouts a day to be healthy. Matter of fact, if I'm doing two, three hour workouts a day, it's probably why I have the meniscus that I have now right. phrase and, and tears all over those things because I was going so hard, so long for so many years. And now I feel like my, the way I'm training, the way I'm caring for myself is actually aligned with that moderation. 
and I'm feeling better than I've ever felt. I'm not waking up in pain. I'm not, you know, putting more stress on the, some herniated discs, but that's what happens. Like, I mean, how many bodybuilders do we see that, you know, they're not in great shape because of what they put themselves through. Right. Right. I keep saying, to your point, we have to stop saying just and only like, oh, I only, you know, did 10 push-ups or I only, I just walked for, you know, 10 minutes. No, that's, the blue zones are places where people live really long lives. They don't go to the gym. It's all about moderation. They drink some wine if they want. They eat fruits and vegetables. They move. They have social connections, right? It's so great to hear someone like you have that message. I'm so excited. What's what's next for you? When, when are you finished and, and what do you see? You know, I can't wait to see what you do in the future. No, no, I really appreciate it. I I just finished my um, two of of my last academic classes. So I'm really excited to be done with that. And and from here on out, it's all professional development. Uh, I have a gap year um, between uh, when I have to complete my uh, final internship. So we have four years of coursework, and then we do a one year 2000 hour clinical internship, and then we get the doctorate. Uh, certificate. So I, I've done all my coursework and now um, I have a gap year until I do my my clinical internship. So in the meantime, really what I want to do is I want to go educate. I want to help sh- everybody understand uh, really the tenets of well-being. And for me, I, I think of well-being and I've named it and called this term whole health. And that's really um, looking at a combination of mental, physical, and emotional health. And when you bring those together and you start to learn the habits and the skills to build health in each of those areas. That's when you have whole health. So I really want to teach that. I'm also very much looking forward to doing some, you know, corporate business development, going in and teaching mental performance, teaching performance habits and techniques so people can show up every day to work and be the best they can be. So the company that I started is called Mastery Development. And it really just came from my time um, being in professional sports and then mixing that with being a graduate student and focusing in health psychology. And I wanted to bring these two aspects of performance and wellness together, because what's the point of being a great performer if you're unhealthy? Uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be sustainable. So I want to help people have high levels of both of those, because that's when you can be at your peak. So very much looking forward to getting out and working and helping people develop better health and better performance. I, I can't wait to see all that you do. Uh, and it is such a powerful message coming from someone like you who that's not what people expect. They expect you to be, you know, deadlifting 700 pounds and, and the extreme. Yeah. So it's so you made my day. You made my my week. Uh, thank you so much, Julius, for taking the time and uh, look forward to hopefully speaking with you again. No, man, thank you for having me. Um, I would love to come back and, and talk health, well-being, talk motivation, Talk about giving people, um, you know, just some little tips and tricks and things they could do to just be able to live the best life they can. You know, and I think that, you know, one thing we hit on um, and it's good to end with is just moderation. Like, don't let anybody convince you that you have to be going 100 percent all out every day to be healthy. That's not what it takes. If you can consistently be 80 percent and give 80 percent effort, which is hard to do consistently, if you can do that then you are going to be in pristine health. You're going to have great fitness and you are going to be able to do the things you want to do with the people that you love and care about for longer.
Oh my gosh. <laughs> we can't end it any better than that, Julius. Yeah, yeah, again, made my absolute day. It's going to help so many people. And, and that's what it's about. We have the greatest jobs in the world. And uh, I thank you for sharing your expertise and, and your, you know, your journey, because it's going to help so many people uh, right now and, and for many years to come. Have an awesome day and absolutely have you back very soon. All right. You too. All right. Speak soon. Have a great day. How amazing was Julius? I, I, I knew... I do research, I read up on all my guests, uh, watch videos, everything. And I knew that he talked about moderation, but nothing I saw was him going this deep into it. And how powerful is that? I mean, you know, I get depressed, I get discouraged in this industry. And I, I, and I really don't want to, cause I'm in control of that. But I get discouraged with the messaging and the social media that you hear about me talk about all the time and, and the bad information you're given. And he is just, I, I can't wait to see what he does and, and to have done what he's already done, right? Uh, incredible even to talk about like specialization. What a what a ridiculously talented, smart, um, just person Julius is. And like, oh, restores my faith. And I, I, I hope he writes many books. I hope he teaches many classes. And I hope we hear much more from him. And I, I will absolutely have him back um, you know, this, this is the type of show I want to be four hours. I just, uh, I don't want to ask them to do that, <laughs> but you may have, but we will definitely have him back. Moderation people. It, it's all, if you listen to my past shows, you go, oh, he must've asked him to, to talk about, it. there was no pre-interview. I don't send questions to people, by the way, you know, when, when I'm pitched guests, um, so I reach out to people and, and I'm also pitch guests frequently, um, They'll often, almost always ask for the questions ahead of time. I don't do it. I don't do it. I want it to be as natural as possible. Uh, if, if they're an expert in, you know, in their area, then we're just going to talk. And I will do my due diligence, diligence as I said. Um, but that just, this is a, a, an incredible success story on so many levels. And then to bring it back to go, coming from the NFL and just like ridiculously lucrative you know, contract to saying, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone and, and go sit in a classroom for years and years and years. Um, only the best. <laughs> only bring you the absolute best. Uh, he absolutely exceeded expectations. I knew he would be great, um, but how amazing. And by the way, I know that many uh, fitness professionals listen to this podcast, trainers, coaches, and the like. Uh, Julius Thomas is also, on top of everything else, he is a contributing author of the National Academy of Sports Medicine's Certified Wellness Coach Program. I was certified by the NISM, I think, back in 1996. It was one of, I think it was my second certification ever. Amazing. Uh, and these NASM certified wellness coaches, they help their clients make potent lifestyle behavioral shifts that lead to greater life satisfaction, better emotional and physical performance, and less disease. They provide evidence-based knowledge across five major areas, movement, nutrition, mental and emotional well-being, recovery and regeneration, and coaching. So Julius is also a part of that on top of everything else, uh, National Academy of Sports Medicine's Certified Wellness Coach Program. If you're a trainer, uh, something worth checking out. Uh, and all of us, I hope you enjoyed that. Julius, thank you again uh, for taking the time. It's about moderation. It's about consistency. It's about controlling what we can control. And as Julius said, I love the analogy of, of the bathwater, 
right? And the hot and cold. And we're in control of that hot and cold. And I'm going to give you, and he's going to give you the tools to come out of that hot and cold, the water, right? So you got to go, what's, what's, what's the positives? What's the hot? What's the negatives? The cold. And how do we use those tools, which would be the water, uh, to our, to our, uh, to our advantage. <laughs> oh, see, I'm going to get worked up. I want to have, I wanted to continue. <laughs> I wanted to continue, but we got to end. All right. Thank you again for listening. Uh, Tom H fit Instagram. Tom H fit is Twitter. Uh, reach out with questions, comments, and remember there are three things we all control. What we put into our mouths, how much we move, and our state of mind, and that is awesome. Here's Jack Wayne on my radio show several years ago. I want to tell you how fortunate you are to have someone like Tom just trying to help you to have a better life. I hope that each and every one of you wonderful people that are listening to Tom's great show will do something for the most important person on this earth, you.